and I got really scared because of, you know, how do you, how do you guarantee a product? And, and I really felt bad, like doing some fine print disclaimer. That's what everyone told me. And they were like, Oh, we'll just put a disclaimer on the site when they buy it. And I was like, that that's, I want to be able to back a product. And I, and I financially don't know how to do that right now. So I'm going to shelve that. Um, and it was really hard because, you know, cameras, people buy so many different accessories. So it's, it's a really hard business to, you know, make a, a foam insert for people that like works for everybody. Awesome Inc. presents the Kentucky Entrepreneur Hall of Fame, a show that highlights how people throughout the Commonwealth of Kentucky pursue their definition of awesome through entrepreneurship, technology, and innovation. Zach Jenkins is the designer from Louisville, Kentucky. And let me tell you, this guy is so talented. His background started with video and led to marketing and design. And he has just an eye for creativity. Now he focuses on building brands and developing his own products. Seriously, he's awesome. If he's doing none of that, you will most likely catch him outside, either mountain biking or free scaling a rock like Tom Cruise, just because he's that cool. And he is the unofficial connoisseur of AL8 in the state of Kentucky. Hey guys, what's up? I'm so glad you're checking out today. Today I'm gonna to be sitting down with one of my my hometown heroes, one of my best <laughs> friends I grew up with. His name's Zach, Zach Jenkins, and it is it is a treat. Uh, Zach is actually from Louisville, where I'm from. He's a big idea guy, and so he'll come up with an invention, a product, and he will work his butt off to make it come to life. And then he's like, you know what? I'll sell it. I'll move on to the next thing. So I want to have Zach sit down and just talk about his story and what he's done and share some laughter because Zach, man, he is funny. <laughs> That's all I can say. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, Zach, again, so man, you're looking good across the table. Thank you. You're looking delicious yourself. Okay, don't ever say that again. <laughs> <laughs> you have to just shove it back. <laughs> just shove face. it back. Okay. <laughs> so you can already tell that we're going to have some fun <laughs> catching up today. It's been a while. So Zach, for everyone else who does not know you, yeah. can you tell us a little bit about your story? How did you end up in Kentucky? How did you stay in Kentucky? And then start talking about your entrepreneurial background, and then we'll go from there. Awesome. So um, I guess my story begins as a kid. I mean, I was the, I think, typical like kid that loved playing with Legos and building things and tearing things apart. Um, you know, as I got older, I got into RC cars and more technical things. Um, and then I guess the big transition was, um, when push came to shove and it was time to go to college, I, I had enrolled or I'd applied for speed school, um, at the university of Louisville. I also had applied to, um, UK and, um, I was really torn between like pursuing architecture or like architectural engineering or mechanical engineering. And I really didn't know, you know, what, like what jobs, would these different career like like education paths take me to um and so i like got super flustered backed out of both because i really didn't want to spend twenty thousand dollars a year on something i didn't really understand or you know fully understand the rep um what am i trying to say i didn't fully understand the repercussions of like committing that much time to something um so I ended up applying to Purdue New Albany, which is across the river, so I could stay at home, save some money, um, and do most of my gen eds at IUS. Um, and while I was there, I got intro to a bunch of film people, so I started working in film, um, really so much so that I, I was missing, like, 
tons of class and I got passes from both of my professors for my major specific courses to do whatever I wanted film wise. So I missed probably like half of our classes that semester, which most of the time you'd automatically fail a class. Um, and, th and these weren't pass fail classes. That's no, awesome. no. So these professors literally like every job that I got, I just had to, you know, I'd, I'd show them emails and I'd show them call sheets or, you know, I'd bring something back. Yeah. From the shoot so to, that your excuse was legitimate. Yeah. Cool. I wasn't just out hanging out with friends. So that was a great opportunity because I really, I learned way more like on set, like doing like commercials and, um, film work than I would have just sitting in the classroom. Um, and so after a year of doing school, I really just realized that I was turning down so much work because my gen eds had taken up time and they had attendance requirements. So my second semester of freshman year, I failed my art class, which was hilarious because I love art. I love drawing, but it was a Friday, six hour class. So you had to be there all day, um, across the river, which if you're from Louisville, you know that that's like, it's terrible. <laughs> you got, you got to be in Indiana at 8am on Friday yeah, and you got to be there all day. Luck. I was like, no. So I, I hit my max abs absences, failed the class. Um, and so that summer I really like, I had decided basically before the semester ended that I wasn't going to go to my sophomore year and I was just going to work. And the challenges with my parents, like, how am I going to, you know, convince my mom that to, this is a good idea. Yes. Man, my mom's the same way. So what I had to do is I literally, I knew, um, the, the dates that you had to re-enroll by, like pick your next year's classes or next semester's classes. And so I just acted like it was a month later than it was to my parents. They didn't know the actual date, missed the date. And then when push came to shove, I was just like, Oh, it's too late. I can't enroll. I guess I'll have to take a semester off and I can just pick back up, you know, the next year. Um, and so that gave me the opportunity to work all summer and then like that fall semester, all I did was commercial work. Um, I ended up meeting a guy named Gary Miller who runs a production company called I Level Films in Louisville. Like a business perspective, he's a very modern, clean, um, you know, have, have an LA, New York, even European look and feel, um, despite being a company based in Louisville, Kentucky. So I remember seeing his website and seeing his work and thinking like, oh wow, this looks like LA, New York work. This doesn't look like Louisville. Um, and so we really hit it off and I quickly in about like probably nine, maybe 12 months went from working for a bunch of random, you know, freelance contract jobs to exclusively working with him, um, on any and all of his productions where that sort of entrepreneurial shift happened was a few years later. So I was always, I was always design oriented. Like even back in high school, I loved graphic design. I took graphic design classes. I loved branding. I loved like designing collateral, like restaurant menus, you know, websites. Like I really loved building some of that stuff. And I did a lot of that for Gary when I came on board with his brand. So I refreshed their brand. I built them a new website, like all the collateral, like business cards and stuff. And I really enjoyed that. And I loved like creating all of those tiny representations of his brand that like all of his clients were interfacing with and like they got to experience and that could bring up the like representation of his brand and how like high end it felt. I really wanted to build something high end. So um, about two, I think like two, maybe two and a half years in, um, there was sort of this need for some case organization for a lot of the camera equipment we were lugging around. And at the same time, I had really been looking back on like the last few years of working for him. This is back like 2014. Um, and I really realized that like, it didn't matter in the film industry. It really didn't matter if you were like 20 and hustling 
or if you were 40 and knew a bunch of people or you were 55 and you were like a seasoned pro, it seemed like everybody I worked with was like, they were all in the rat race. They were all like constantly trying to get clients, trying to get business, trying to find new work. And so I was like, I don't know that I want to commit to this. Like I dropped out of college for this. I don't know that I want to commit to like this and only this is like, this is my, you know, my financial dependency. I have to have this. And so I kind of saw the need for the case organization at the same time that I realized I wanted some other, you know, I wanted something to give me some more financial flexibility because a lot of the film work was 1099, 60, 90 day pay, like, which is awesome. It's awesome money. You make great money, but when you're going to get the check, you don't know. And that's really hard as a 19, 20, 21 year old um, who's trying to get established and, and build a business. So I was fortunate enough to have quite a bit of money, um, sort of saved. And so what I started to do is invest in product development, mostly for the case organization. So we were doing foam inserts for a lot of the newer, like a camera came out that was, um, top of the line, Aerie Alexa mini, and no one had a case for it. And so my thinking was like, we bought one of these cameras. We spent $200,000 on this camera. Why don't we develop a case for it? And then my side business will be the first person to have a case for it. Um, so I spent probably, I don't know, maybe, maybe 15 or $20,000 prototyping, cutting foam, you know, trying certain things that didn't work. I worked with a guy here in Lexington that I met at some random maker fair who had like a machine. He had a router table in his basement. Um, and so I'd come out to Lexington on weekends and like he'd be cutting foam you know, new versions of this foam insert for me um, and trying out different foams, all these crazy, crazy ornate, you know, like, does this closed cell phone better than open cell is, you know, how long does it last? Like all those little things. And then, you know, you get to the point where you realize this thing I'm making is supposed to quote unquote protect a $200,000 good. And so that really scared me because I was like, I don't really have the money to like pay some company to test this thing and like really like give it a seal of approval. And so I really shied away from the phone because I was like, I don't want to, you know, sell a bunch of these, make some money, you know, selling foam inserts. And then six months later, something happens, something happens. Someone's camera broke when they were, you know, traveling with their camera on a plane or, or whatever, or someone drops a case on set. And then I get an email out of the blue saying like, Hey, like your phone didn't work. You know, you want our money back, refund, pay for a camera. Yeah, we want you to pay for our camera. We've got this insurance claim. And that like that really, really scared me. So what I ended up doing was sort of shelving that project altogether for about six months. And I was really like I was very close to just completely dropping it, like not pursuing anything to do with it. So wait, what's the camera that you were initially making this foam insert for? It's the Area Alexa Mini. And that thing just sounds intense. Yeah. So, I mean, it was it was incredible. We were the second people in Kentucky and I think like top five in the United States to get the camera. Um, wow. In terms of delivery, um, which was crazy. We literally, I mean, like they did the product announcement and then the day that it released, we were on the phones with the reps ordering the camera. So as you're giving your, your background, you talked a lot about design. Design for you was a big driver. And at first that wasn't feeding your entrepreneurial journey, but then you saw a big shift once you got on Gary's team. Yeah. So how did that help you take you from 
you know, from being in college, just getting freelance work and then getting added onto this company to shifting to starting to pick up some entrepreneurial stuff? Well, I think I really realized like in, in that time that I helped, um, you know, revamp and freshen up Gary's brand, um, the I Level Films brand, I really like, like doing that and, and having that hands-on process. I really realized like you really control the perception of a business with this. Like your logo says a ton about you. Um, I think it does too. The fonts that you choose, um, how your business cards look and feel. Um, and this was at a time, I mean, like Moo wasn't really a thing, like, we didn't have a lot of like the awesome resources that we now have um, where it's really easy to make something that looks and feels awesome. So I remember we had like a local um, printer um, who does a lot of letterpress work. He laid up, I think it was like three or four sheets of this like matte black, like paper that we just love. We love this particular paper, but they didn't sell it in the weight that we wanted our business cards in. So like those little experiences, like building that card and him having to go like, this poor printer guy had to go through, you know, glue, like gluing sheets of paper together for us to then letterpress and print on, yeah. um, and make our, our business cards were widescreen. So like when you go to the movies and you see like that really narrow, you know, letterbox top and bottom, mm -hmm. our business cards were that aspect ratio. So they were really short. They weren't like tall and really square. Um, they were very rectangle. And so again, we were just going outside the norm, but everyone commented on it. Everyone was like, wow, this card feels amazing. And this is again, at a time where you couldn't buy a Moo Superlux or whatever, like four layer paper card because yeah. nobody was really doing it. So seeing a lot of those things, I think I really realized with a brand, you control a, the perception and b like, um, the quality with that perception. So before I ever had any product developed for Spartan, which is the case company that I worked on, I had a brand. I had a brand because I realized through buying all the camera equipment, spending all this money and being in the industry, I saw what all the people I was working with, what they were buying, right? Like what were these businesses gravitating towards brand wise? And in my head after, after really understanding how powerful that was to those people, because the film industry, they care about how something looks and feels right. They want the most badass camera. They want the best, case they want the highest in this or that they want the thing with the cool logo you know everyone's editing on max like there's a ton of brand perception in there so with all of that i think that really opened my eyes up to i could build something brand wise that i think people would want now i just need a product yeah i love the fact that you you had a brand picked out and this is something that you were able to craft over the years through all your experiences i know being on our team and the people that we work with we cannot preach enough about you only really learn from experiences. So it's cool that, you know, as a 19, 20 or 20 year old, you got to have a lot of, a lot of teachable moments, I'd say early on that helps absolutely. you get to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you mentioned it a second ago, you talked about Spartan. Can we pick back up um, where you left off about dropping the idea of the foam insert in that case and yeah. then go from there? Absolutely. So, you know, I had this brand and then we did all that foam development and I got really scared because of, you know, how do you, how do you guarantee a product? And, yeah. and I really felt bad, like doing some fine print disclaimer. That's what everyone told me. And they were like, Oh, we'll just put a disclaimer on the site when they buy it. And I was like, that that's, I want to be able to back a product and I, and I financially don't know how to do that right now. So mm -hmm. I'm going to shelve that. Um, and it was really hard because, you know, cameras, people buy so many different accessories. So it's, it's a really hard business to, you know, make a, a foam insert for people that like works for everybody. And I guess I'll back up and say a, a lot of my, 
product development was assisted by First Build in Louisville. So GE started this company that was basically like a make space and they had water jet cutters and lasers and all these things. So I was really able to, to prototype for, I was paying full like machine shop rates to use some of these machines, which they could be, you know, 90, $120 an hour. Um, and so you really, you can burn money really fast if you, if you aren't prepared. Yeah. Or you, I mean, you're, you're taking a lot of gambles. You're making a lot of guesses when you're, especially with foam, you, you know, you think you need, you know, this big of a pocket for this or that. Um, it's really hard to prototype for that before you actually go and cut the foam. So there was a ton of money burned on just bad prototyping. So anyways, I ended up shelving the whole foam thing and um, was was really, really close to just moving on to the next idea. And there were a couple ideas floating around, but there was nothing that was like, oh, this is this is an opportunity I have to grab and go with right now. There, there wasn't anything like that. And so I looked back at Spartan and I was like, you know, maybe, maybe there's something there that I haven't really considered. And I had a list of like future potential products um, that would have worked well with the foam stuff. So what I ended up doing is um, I hired an engineer for a month, I think four grand. So I hired an engineer, yeah, for, for one month to work for me um, for, you know, 30 days or whatever. Um, and looking back, I'm, I'm super glad that I did it. And I, I would do it again, and I probably will do it again in the future, you know, when the opportunity um, is, is there and it's necessary. But um, it was very, it was really cool because it really let me focus on like, you know, products that I being a, a potential user from being on set, products that I would have wanted on set, that's where a lot of my inspiration came from. So it's things that like I wanted to make my life easier on set, which I knew would apply to everybody else that was on set. And I love this all came out from a problem that you experienced yeah, consistently. Exactly. I think that's where all like true ideas come from. Good ideas. Yeah. Good ideas <laughs> come from your own pain points. Um, I just looked at the list of other ideas and I was like, you know, we could make a lid organizer because the lid organizer that Pelican makes is it's garbage. Like every, every single person that I've met all over the United States and, and really all over the world, like every filmmaker I've worked with, you, you just say Pelican's lid organizer and they're like, Oh, that piece of crap. Like that thing falls apart. Like, and to, and to interject myself. Yeah. So this is something that you obviously used pretty regularly all the time. Okay. Yeah, I mean, and everybody had them. Like, it was it was the only product on the market, yeah. really. And was this for DSLR cameras or like the kind of cameras yeah, well, you were using for commercials? It was really just for anything. It was okay. it was for anybody who had a Pelican case. Tons of people buy these cases. So Yeah, so it was just a standard, everyone used the same lid organizer. And everyone who gotcha. had these cases had this lid organizer, and it was junk. Like, the zippers would literally break, um, and then the mesh that it was made out, would, out of would just tear. It, would, it wouldn't hold up, and for people that you know, for the outliers that did have a $100,000 or $200,000 camera and they're like, that sucks. Like you have this yeah, you thing. Can't count on that. And there was no alternative. It was like this, you can buy this or you can put like the corrugated foam in the lid. I really tasked um, Jeff, the engineer with like, let's come up with some sort of modular lid organizer because that was the other thing. Like Pelicans was, you know, fixed. It had five pouches. So you had to use what they provided. So in I think it was like two days, we went from, hey, let's work on a lid organizer to Jeff and I were at first build laser cutting cardboard prototypes of this plate that we were going to put in the lids that would let you modularly attach um, any type of molly pouch, which is just a standard military tactical pouch. We cut the cardboard prototype. It's awesome. I'm like, 
this is actually a really good product. Now we have to affix it to the lid. And Pelican had these spots that you could screw their lid organizer in. But one of the big problems with their lid organizer is it always ripped out because they were just like um, almost like a wood screw. They weren't okay. a machine screw. So if you pulled on it too hard and it ripped out, you couldn't put it back in. You know, it was done so unless you glued the screw back in there. So it's super messy. So we started working on like, could we, you know, drill a pilot hole and then press fit a threaded insert, which would have a machine screw. And then you could easily take that screw in and out as much as you want. Um, so we did that. It worked pretty well. And by the time we had developed like an actual plastic plate, put pouches on it and did, you know, the piloting machine screw bosses with the press fit inserts. My time is up with the engineers the end of the month. So, um, I kind of fell back into like a dormant state with the idea. It was good. I didn't like that you had to drill holes. Like people buy these $200 cases. Yeah. The, the last thing they want to do is do more work to a product that they've already purchased. Especially yeah. with a drill. I mean, it was, it was hilarious. One of the, first prototypes I was making, you know, we had to just drill not all the way through. Like you just had to drill a little pilot hole and then you press fit, like you hammer in this little insert. Well, I just grabbed the drill, put on the lid, a brand new Pelican case that I just bought for prototyping. And I literally like drill bit grabs right through the lid. Now I've got a hole in, in this brand new case, in a brand new waterproof Pelican case that I've now ruined. So after experiencing that, I was like, man, like, customers are going to hate this. Like this is going to be hard. So I ended up coming with like coming up with a workaround where we could put a collar on the drill bit so they could only drill so far. And so the idea was we were going to sell a kit where you basically bought a drill bit. You got these press fit inserts and the end user would have to have a drill. They'd have to like drill these little pilot holes and a hammer and they hammer in these things in the lid. And then once those were in, you could attach our plate. Um, and then we also were going to offer like we would, pre-make it and you could buy it from us. So with those decisions sort of made, I was I was confident enough in the product to um, move forward with, with the Kickstarter. So I think over the next like three months, you know, nights and weekends and whenever people had free time, I worked with a lot of my film friends to shoot different portions of the Kickstarter video. Um, Worked with Ryan Noltmeyer on shooting all the photography. Good guy. Um, awesome guy. Awesome guy out in the Bay Area. Um, so we produced all the content. Um, and again, I was very like, it's all about brand. So I was like, that's why I worked with Ryan. I was like, I, I want these images to look and feel like Apple. I want, I want this plate, although it's just a flat plate that's cut out of plastic, I want it to look and feel like an Apple product. Like I want the minimal on white, like super clean. So there was a ton of focus on that while we were building all those assets. Um, and that's important because what I'm about to get to, I think, I think that that branding and that content really had a lot to do with where the business went. So we wrapped things up in I think May of 2000 and Oh, is it 16 or 17? I think it was 16. Yeah, it was 16 because I was still in college and we, I remember I, I came back to Louisville. I think it was either Christmas break or maybe New Year's something. And we we met up at was it Quills? Yeah, yeah, Quills in the Highlands. We're talking about life, talking about work, what I wanted to do, and you were just like, "Man, stop! You need you need to start doing like what I'm doing in terms of being able to trade my time for money." Yeah, and this is yeah, and and you were talking about Kickstarter and what you've gotten into. So, 
yeah, pick up there, talk about your Epic Kickstarter, and then maybe some of the best things you learned from that deal, and we'll kind yeah. of continue on. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we wrap things up on the Kickstarter. We get everything um, to a place where I'm really confident in like how it looks and feels. I, I went so far as to like modify... I'd seen this backpack company make the body of their Kickstarter. It was all images. So they were able to design the layout, like choose the fonts, all the things. So most Kickstarters, you have to use just their web fonts and you just insert images and use their text and all that. Which is not nearly as compelling. No, it's not. And when I was looking at this backpack company, I was like, this really spoke to me. Like from a design perspective, I really like was impressed by this. So I sort of took that same concept obviously with my own brand and you know aesthetics and built this what I thought was a really clean Kickstarter page um and I'd worked with a lot of you know local places to figure out manufacturing even make time a little bit with Drura um to try to figure out you know how cheap we could get the cost of this plate to and um trying to make this thing as affordable as possible so we're ready to kickstart um I think the goal was like $25,000 um which I wasn't really going to make any money on if that if we hit that goal um, and I was a complete idiot and I didn't even shut off um, international ordering. Um, and so I, I can't remember what I did wrong, but I, I thought that it was set up to where like they would have to pay for shipping, but for some reason it wasn't, wasn't set up case. that way. No. <laughs> so anyways, we celebrate, we launched this thing. Um, I, I want to say it was like around middle of May or early June of 2016. Um, and the first couple of days, um, the first day was interesting. It was, it was a lot of friends and family. Like, you know, my dad got a case and, you know. Yeah, just people supporting you and people that I knew in the industry. Along, yeah. Right. There wasn't a lot of like, oh, I've never heard of this person before. You know, there wasn't like a lot of organic search. So I had some assets and I, and I had a couple of cases and I knew that I wanted to give them to people. But I didn't exactly know who. So my buddy Brandon knew this film guy who has a pretty big YouTube called cinematography database. Um, so he somehow gets connected to him and he says, if you send me, you know, one of these cases with a lit organizer, he's like, I'll just do a quick review and help your Kickstarter. So I'd sent him a case like right before we launched the Kickstarter. Um, and he posted a video about it. I think it was the second day and like the traffic was insane. Like we, got so many views there's a lot of positive response um and again this is like generation like version one of this product so get a ton of views ton of response um and i think we got you know five some odd thousand dollars worth of backers like it wasn't it wasn't crazy but it was like a substantial boost you know it was a good yeah, chunk yeah, of yeah in two days yeah in a couple of days so i was like this is really great um you know if i get a few more people like this we'll hit our goal and like this is actually going to become real um and so then day three, we're, we're monitoring all these metrics and, you know, all the analytics on on everything. And um, we see this huge spike in viewership on day three. And there's no, like, there's no new backers with it. There's just a ton of people viewing the Kickstarter. And we were so confused by it. So we end up being able to trace um, the analytics. And we find out that my Kickstarter had made it on a Reddit subthread called Shitty Kickstarters which is a thing. So there's people that just submit Kickstarters that they think are terrible ideas to this Reddit subthread um, for whatever reason. And everyone could comment and yeah. Reddit it up, tear you to shreds. <laughs> so day three was pretty rough because I was like, why? Like who, who thinks this is a terrible idea? Um, and it was really interesting because there were actually a lot of people defending the product. You know, the, the original post 
the guy was just saying like anybody could cut this plate out at any maker space. Um, so why do you need to buy this product? You know, which was funny to me because it's like, well, not everybody has the time to like go and like draw something and then go cut it out and then buy the screws and find the things and do all the stuff and what, whatever. So anyways, day three was kind of a down day because we had all this traffic and then I found out that, you know, it's just people making fun of, um, the product and thought it was a bad idea. And then day four, I get an email, um, through LinkedIn from Pelican who makes the cases we designed our product for. Um, it was Pelican's VP of product development. Wow. That's huge. Yeah. It was insane. So it was like total goosebumps. Like I was screenshotted before I even read it and I was like sending it to people. <laughs> you like you can't breathe like this, this is in real life. Yeah. This can't be real <laughs> because they were on the three to five year list. Like they were when, when I had started, you know, coming up with ideas back when we were doing the foam stuff in like 2014, I was like, you know, Oh yeah, we could, you know, get to a certain place in sales and then Pelican would want to acquire us just to take someone out of the market space and take that little chunk of business. So to have them contact four days in was unreal. So I replied to basically Kevin's email said, you know, we're really interested in your product. We've seen your Kickstarter and we want to talk. Um, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So, and in my head I was like, you know, they're, they're a $400 million company. They had just recently been acquired by a private equity firm. So they had, you know, sort of changed hands and ownership despite being around for so long. So I really didn't know what to expect. We email, we have a couple of conference calls. Um, and they basically just ask me like, what do you want to do? Like, do you want to make this product and we'll just buy it from you exclusively? Like, do you want to be a manufacturer or do you just want to license this idea and this brand to us? And that really surprised me. I was like, you guys are interested in the brand. And they had seen a lot of success with a product that they had co-branded with prior to me kickstarting. And I didn't really know that. I mean, I knew of the product, but I didn't really know. I didn't put two and two together. And so looking back, a lot of things made sense. I was like, oh, yeah, like they did just partner with that company. And they have been selling that product a ton. Like everybody has it on set. And if they've been seeing crazy results like that, why wouldn't they want to have another brand partnership, even though they technically would own it, you know? So perfect storm. They fly me out to LA in July of 2016, um, with my version two. So that was the stipulation of the meeting. They were like, bring your version two. Like what, what's your like dream version of this product beyond the Kickstarter? Um, and I had a vision for a quick release plate. So no screws, no hardware, no drilling in your case, um, using like a 3M VHB adhesive. You could just stick this thing in your lid and then the posts that it mounted to were permanently stuck and you could just pop the plate out and pop the plate in. It was awesome and I loved it and I was a huge fan and it was truly like the first version of the product that like I would have like wanted if, to use. If I saw that, I would yep. buy it. No matter, you know, if it was 50 or 100 bucks or whatever, I'd, I was very confident in it. So I fly out to LA with my two prototype cases um, and basically like Mad Men style, like boardroom pitch there's like their head of engineering like this vp of product development their you know consumer and um government product managers um and then one of their manufacturing managers so there's this like table of six or seven people and then 22 year old me <laughs> which was like crazy i'm all alone like and i've got this case so i feel like a sleazy salesman like <laughs> check out what I got, you know, it was, it was, it was hilarious, but, um, they were thrilled. Like they loved it. And they, I think it was, it was very interesting because it was something where like, you know, not a lot of people innovate this. I mean, it's a case, right? 
put some foam in there, throw your stuff in there, call it a day. There aren't a lot of people looking at that and saying like, how can we make it more efficient or better or improve the interior? Um, and then you know, Pelican, they're focused on the exterior. They're really focused on making the toughest cases in the world that can, I mean, they withstand put, literally anything, anything they, they put their cases in an oven at 210 degrees for like 12 hours. Um, it's crazy. So they were thrilled to see that and they saw the potential of like that brand, you know, and where those product lines could go. So I left that meeting feeling like hyped. And in the months after that, while I was like ecstatic that, you know, there was going to be a partnership formed with Pelican and we, you know, worked out those details. I started to look towards the future and that's where I really started, you know, thinking about if I stumbled into this opportunity with Pelican in four days, you know, and there were a lot of like happy mistakes and, and a lot of coincidences, you know, like I chose to be, you know, design forward. Like I wanted to have a really killer brand that I think is the primary reason they even reached out. Um, I mean, again, I, this company offered me, you know, a licensing deal with zero sales. I had no sales of this product. This brand was, it was brand new made zero dollars, had no revenue. So really like they should have just offered me $20,000 and they could have, you know, made out really well, but they ended up offering you $21,000. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) No. So they, they ended up, you know, extending me basically a, a royalty offer to license in the brand and the product, you know, for a fixed term. We now have a royalty agreement, um, with Pelican and we're basically, um, we spent the last two years furthering development of the product to meet Pelican standards because they're just the best of the best. And that's like, they're like my adhesive mount lid organizer. Like the second they put it in that oven at 200 degrees, it just melted that adhesive just delaminates. You know, that's how, like if you take a car badge, like off the back of a car, you use a heat gun, you heat it up and that adhesive comes off. So the way that I was affixing my plate didn't really work for their standards. So They've spent a lot of R&D time with their engineering teams taking my system and figuring out a better way to mount it. And that is the fact that you can just say that. Yeah. Is so freaking cool. Yeah. It's awesome, dude. And it really like, you know, I had an investor, um, friend of mine really put into perspective a few months ago. You know, he was saying I was telling him the story of the Kickstarter and how four days in they reached out and he was like, you got Pelican in four days to want to buy your product in four days with zero sales, like just your Kickstarter, just a video and the brand and the product idea. They wanted to acquire you. He's like, not a lot of people can say that he works in deals all the time where, I mean, you have to have a lot of traction and you have to have a number. You have to have the books to, to yeah, to prove your legitimacy. Yeah. And to prove the product, that's really what it is. Um, and so for Pelican to just, I mean, honestly take a gamble and, and not only like, not only reach out, but to, to negotiate a deal that's, I think, fair to, you know, myself and Brent for our IP mm-hmm. when we had no protection, you know, I have no patents. I d- at the time didn't have any trademarks. Like none of what I was doing was legally protected in any way, shape or form. Cause I didn't have the money. I was spending all my money on prototyping. So Pelican could have very well just showed up and been like, that's a great idea. We're going to do it. Um, they didn't have to, they didn't have to reach out. So that to me speaks volumes about them as a company. And, um, really, you know, after that, 
gave me this perspective of if I stumbled into this opportunity and made a lot of, you know, happy mistakes, um, what could I do intentionally? You know, what products could I work on that I know companies either, you know, want and they just, you know, don't have the R and D spend or they're focused on other things or, you know, what are opportunities that maybe the companies don't know, you know, that they need this product. Um, or potentially another brand. So that's really what, you know, started the next chapter of my life was it became time to work on, you know, the next five things. It wasn't, it wasn't ever really one thing for me. Um, even, even looking at Spartan, you know, Spartan was a three to five year. The goal was to be acquired by Pelican. And you, you've done that. And I did that, you know, in four days after, <laughs> after you know, and, I love it, that. And, and again, the time span is definitely like, it didn't just take four days. Exactly. You know, so it was years of prep. You, you, you started in 2014 with these foam inserts. Exactly. Didn't happen until July when they flew out 2016. So. Yeah. That's two years yeah. just alone in, in discovering the product really. And then since then it's been another two plus years. Um, we're just about to launch the product here in October of 2019. That's so awesome. that's, that's a lot of time though for, you know, an idea to go from inception to market. Um, but yeah, it's been a huge opportunity and really like it's just opened a lot of doors and opened my eyes up to looking at products and brands that way. Because I think a lot of people look at products and brands, I think in the shark tank way, like yep. this has got to be like my thing and like it's got to be the thing that I'm super passionate about. And like this will be my ride or die for the rest of my life. And I just don't think, A, I mean, I, I've always hated putting all my eggs in one basket. That's where... Spartan came from, you know, like me wanting to build a business came from not wanting to have one single source of income, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think more and more people need to really, um, you know, not hedge all their bets on just one thing on just one thing I like that. So, so what do you think was the best thing you learned from that deal? Yeah. It's, it's been three years since that happened. Yeah. I think the biggest thing I've learned is, um, to trust your gut when it comes to a lot of business decisions. You know, I think for the most part, um, intuition can guide you to the right places. And so for me, you know, there were a lot of opportunities to cut corners or a lot of, you know, other product avenues that I could have considered. And as a potential customer, none of them ever, you know, appealed to my intuition until that one idea. When that triggered, it was all up to, you know, trusting instinct. Like this feels like this would be a product that would sell. I think that's definitely the biggest thing I've learned. And then also just a couple ancillary things. I think one of them is like definitely you have to build a network of people to support, you know, I by no means did that by myself. I was working with Brent engineering stuff, you know, for years, hired Jeff, you know, for that month, he helped, you know, the inception of the lit organizer concept as we know it came from him, you know, in the month he spent with me, but without all those people, you know, without Ryan, you know, pitching in and and doing an incredible job. Yeah, shooting incredible images and Mike Vance and Ben Rickard um, and my buddy Zach Irwin all chipped in to shoot video. Um, all great guys, like like a star-studded cast of people really brought everything together and, and created the brand, which in turn is what got Pelican's attention. Well, hey, thanks so much for sharing that story. And it's just been cool to, as your friend, to watch that unfold over the last couple of years and, and to see what you're on to now. Yeah. So that's where I want to go. Yeah. You, you've touched upon how you are still in the midst of this deal. You're perfecting the different generations. What are you on gen three or four with? 
Yeah, I think they're they, they may be on five. Okay. Um, they've they've had some iterations. Um, I'm supposed to see the latest gen. I think this week. Um, or next. So, That's I'm exciting. pretty sure they're on five or six. Jeez. So, yeah. yeah. So they're ahead of the game. Yeah. So what are you working on currently? I know that. You have a few different products and a couple of businesses. I'd love to hear about those. Yeah. Because that's where your focus is now. Yeah, absolutely. So me personally, I have a blackboard at home, like a four by eight board that's stuck to the wall of my dining room. And it's covered in post notes. And there are countless business ideas. The two things that I'm really, I would say, like hyped about and like passionate about right now, um, one is an app and then the other is a business. So the app is called Cruise. And basically I want to build an app where you can share all your favorite drives with your friends. So for instance, I got off of Midway on my way to Lexington today for this podcast. And while that's not a crazy road, it's just a nice scenic back road. Of Kentucky, of course. Of Kentucky through horse farms and just beautiful country. Um, and I find it more enjoyable than being on the highway. So um, I basically want to build an app that lets you, you know, pick those either scenic routes or just fun to drive routes or, you know, for motorcyclists or whatever. Um, that app idea, I think pairs really well with the business idea I want to build. So I really, I'm a car guy, you know, that I'm a car guy, big car guy, big car guy. Um, you can call me Paul Walker, RIP. Yeah. Oh man, don't make me cry. Um, so basically as a car guy, there's no space that you can go and, and I, I'm positive every car guy, every person that's wrenched on anything will tell you they've had this idea that I'm about to tell you, but, but no one's done it. Um, there aren't co-working garages. There's not a space and, and there definitely are like outlier, like Joe in whatever town has a shop and lets some of his buddies rent, you know, there's, there's definitely small businesses, but no one's really commercialized the idea. So I really want to build a brand um, and create sort of like we were create we wrench. So like you can go and work on your car um, and have access to tools and lifts and even, you know, knowledgeable people that can help you, you point you in the right direction, teach you tips and tricks um, without having to go spend, you know, $3,000 on tools in a toolbox and having the space. That's the biggest problem. There's tons of people that, you know, have cars and want to work on them. And honestly, like there's a lot of things that people overpay for to have a shop do that, you know, would maybe be a fun experience. You know, like for example, if you could go and like change your mom's brakes with her, you know, like that could be a fun experience. Like would she really do a ton of work? No, but like it'd be something you look back on and you had a good time or father, son. I mean, that would be a huge thing to go and teach the next generation, you know, how to do certain things. So I really want to create a space for that. And I feel like, um, even as we move into more and more, you know, electric vehicles, I think there's still a marketplace for that. Similar to what we work has done, you know, where you can utilize existing spaces and partner with, you know, certain brands maybe to bring that to life. So, those two things I think really play well together. Um, and they're two things that I'm super passionate about. The challenge is I'm getting out of the product realm with those two ideas, you know, software is a thing I haven't really touched. Um, and then building a brick and mortar business is also something I haven't touched and is way more capital intensive. Um, so I've been trying to pull my strings and, you know, how can I finagle my way into, into building this business and bringing it to life? And I've really, 
you know, I'm at a place where I've worked with a lot of the brands that I would want to partner with um, for the garage idea. I've worked with Valvoline. Um, I've worked with Challenger Lifts um, and subsequently Snap-on because they're owned by Snap-on. So what I'm really considering doing is, is sort of presenting it to them as a marketing activation and basically saying like, hey, I, I just want to try this thing as like a two-bay, like super simple paired with like, you know, a little hangout coffee shop type thing um, and just give it a shot and host, you know, host events, host um, educational nights, you know, come out and learn how to change your oil, change your yeah. oil, learn how to put a spare tire on your car if you have a flat, you know, like do those things that, you know, they used to teach you in shop school back in the day. Like our dads would say that we don't have anymore. Like there's opportunities like that. Um, and then obviously like cars and coffee and, and shows and just building community. That's, that's the biggest thing. Um, and I, I wouldn't say it's a frustration, but the biggest, um, void I think in that whole industry is like as a car person, like most people have cars to show it off, right? Like this is a cool thing. Like I've put my pride and joy. I, I built this thing you know, I want you to appreciate this. Like I'm proud of this thing, but we're cooped up, you know, in our own garages, in our own houses, like in our own basements. It'd be so cool. I think to like bring that out to a public setting where you can make new friends and meet new people all while doing those things. You know, it just, I think it shifts the paradigm and it's, it's more about, you know, building the thing in the garage and then actually enjoying the thing on the road. There's, so to me, like I want a place that I can find some of that community and like share my knowledge with my friends and help people, you know. And then once that happens, you tell them about cruise. Boom. Yeah. You're like, get on the road. See, you got this you're awesome thinking app. three to five years ahead. I like it. Exactly. You got the pair of those two things. They work really well together. So those are the two things I think I'm gonna focus on the most next. Um we didn't even talk about the remote cases. That's hilarious. Oh, we didn't. I yeah, skipped well, hey, right over throw, that. Throw that in real, real quickly. Um, so, yeah, back in, I think, February, um, I was super frustrated with the Apple TV remote. Like, the thing is so little, and they just, they're like little sticks of butter. They just disappear. Um, so I started working with Brent from Spartan on developing some cases for that. And there were some on the market, but most of them were like wee, like neoprene, like rubbery sleeves. So it didn't make the form factor of the remote any bigger. It just made it stickier. So you wouldn't maybe, you know, lose it in your couch cushions. I still didn't like the way that it was like literally so small that it was so easy to lose. So I think over the course of like a week, we 3D printed like 15 or 18 variants of, you know, potential shapes of this case. And then, um, we decided on a size and look and feel that we liked. And then I had my buddy Ben Arrow of Arrow Made that does the Wooden States of America for anybody who knows about that. Um, shout out Ben. Ben cut 250 of the cases out of Walnut for us. Um, and so now we have a stack of these remotes, these remote cases that are at my place. Um, currently waiting to be modified. So we're going to add a magnet that basically lets you permanently keep the remote in there instead of it being press fit because wood wears down over time. So not to get too product specific, but we're basically working on a case that's wooden for Apple TV remotes. Um, well, hey, Zach, we've had a ton of time talking about your story. I love that. Uh, last two questions, then we'll go. 
grab a lunch. We'll go meet some friends. Cool. There's some good people in Lexington that I think yeah. would be good for your network. Uh, what does success look like in your eyes, both personal life and any slew of your businesses, other than Pelican, because you, you've already achieved that? Success to me, I think it's like relentless pursuit of making life better and easier for people. So someone I really look up to and admire is Elon Musk. And he's also one of the main driving forces for my belief that I can pursue multiple ventures at once. Um, I mean, if the man can build a privatized space company and build a car company and work on neural interfacing for the human brain all at the same time, I think I can handle working on (laughs) a a garage and uh, (laughs) some remote cases. Like it really puts it into perspective. So I would say success looks like that. It's it's the relentless pursuit of, you know, making people's lives easier and better. Sweet. And then, man, last thing. You said it earlier, and hopefully you say it again, but if you could speak any truth into any entrepreneur, so you're a little unconventional, I love that, but maybe someone who's focusing on building a sole business or, you know, they, they have the desire to, what would be your one piece of advice or maybe something you know now you wish you would have known five years ago that you'd want to share with someone? I mean, it sounds cliche, but network and and networking is like I've always hated that word that word it feels like a LinkedIn word to me um it's like add someone like plus sign to your network networking is truly like like bumping into that person at the coffee shop you know like seeing that random person working on that one thing or going into a business and saying like hey I really I like the way you do this but this I have this idea for this thing like could we work together or who owns this could we work together um those barriers to entry are so much lower than I think people perceive them as like I am now, for instance, cruise, um, you know, I have to find a partner to, to build that business and I really need to find a large follower base to download that app. Um, I've made friends over Instagram. I, I was contacted by this guy who lives in the Bay. His name's Amir and he runs this car account that's got like 2.4 million followers. Um, and we just met in Oakland, like a few weeks, I was out in San Francisco a few weeks ago and I met him. Like we got coffee for the first time after we've been communicating for at least like six or nine months. It's just so cool to me that like, you know, he reached out because of Instagram and like he just saw my account and was interested in Spartan. That, mm-hmm. that, that's what started the whole conversation. And then that led to, you know, hey, well, I'm doing, I run this car account. It's sort of just like a ancillary thing, him not knowing what I'm working on. Exactly. And it's like, boom, this perfect opportunity arises where it's like, oh, you have a great idea and I have like a great foundation for that idea. Maybe we should partner and work together on this all because of Instagram. So I think more and more people should network in that way. And it's not like the thing I have to preach is like I'm the most informal person. Like the fact that I'm wearing dress shoes right now, like here is It's kind of funny. In jeans, I I really like. I was very close to just wearing my joggers with. Uh, you totally should have my NMDs. I was going to, but should, hey, that's on me. I should have let you know we're pretty casual around no, here. No, it's okay. Um, I want it was a good excuse to dress up a little bit, but I think people try to like formulate connecting with people too much, and I know for for a fact with some founders that I'm friends with, like the copy paste, change name, LinkedIn reach out, like. It doesn't work because everyone knows that everyone's doing that, you know, whereas like a very like heartfelt, organic, like sincere message on Instagram that's just real and raw and you or even, you know, don't make it a big paragraph thing that looks like you copied it and pasted it from notes and you spent all this time like, hey, man, I like your feed. Like, you're really cool. I think we should 
Yeah. Maybe grab coffee sometime. That's actually what I've been doing with a lot of musicians I look up to. Yeah. So I saw saw Ben Rector in at the Ryman almost a year ago. So last October. Okay. And man, his band's always consistently good. Yeah. But I reached out to both his guitarists. I got up coffee with one when I was in Nashville. That's awesome. For Christmas last year. And then another guy we've been talking last few months. I sent him some of my work. Yeah. And it's just it's just been cool to use Instagram as a way to meet people, but also just like, hey, if I can help you, I'd love to. I would also love to get to know you because I respect what you do. Yeah. And that's all it has. Like, that's the other thing. Like, I think people are always trying to leverage and like, what could they do for me? When, yeah. Again, man, you'd, you'd fit in well around our culture. We you just, yeah, you just, going. it's just, you have to be fr- like baseline. Like when Amir reached out to me about Spartan, he was just like, I just, I just think you're making cool stuff. And to me, like that was such a genuine, you know, message to receive. Like, oh, I just think you're doing cool stuff. And I, I think we should talk and get to know each other. Um, that's reciprocated and like you actually get to go like you actually get to know someone when you don't think that they're just trying to leverage your relationship yeah. like if, if you really just think it's genuine and they just respect what you do and just because that's harder and harder to find like someone who's just like i just think this is cool i just want to be here like i'm not trying to yeah there's there's no secret agenda I just, yeah i thoroughly enjoy it and I, and I would encourage anybody who's who's trying to build a business or who's pursuing any you know type of entrepreneurship play to your strengths and also to like what your passions are um because i think steve jobs said it like if you're not passionate about it you're not you're not in it for the long run you know if you don't truly enjoy that thing or you don't truly you know care about the mission of that company or that product you're not going to see it through you're not going to have the um endurance to really bring that that idea to life thanks so much for coming down hopefully you get everything squared away with cruise yeah we we wrench that sounds fun (laughs) i could definitely learn from that and then um Fifth made, fifth made. Yeah, I yeah. Dude, I almost I almost said made fifth, but that's, no, I guess that wasn't right. That'd fifth be made. hilarious. <laughs> made fifth, made fifth. You should start that brand. Uh, and we'll be a we'll co-brand. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're getting ahead. Hey, let's go grab coffee. All right, dude. Thanks so much. All right. Well, that's it. We want to say thank you again so much for checking out the Kentucky Entrepreneur Hall of Fame podcast. Special thanks to Lee Rosevear for the music that you hear in the show and to Lexington's Awesome Inc. for hosting us from their space. Again, I'm Garrett Farbach. Make sure to check back and tune in next time. We'll see you then.